Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey, heroes. This week, I chatted with Liz Tripratikun about her game Afterlife, Wandering Souls. The character you play in this game has died and finds themselves in an unexpected quasi-afterlife with no recollection of who they are or how they got there. The campaign progresses by exploring subworlds and recovering memories, effectively creating your character over the course of the game. Liz took me through how this game evolved mechanically, as well as how this kind of character discovery affects the way players interact with the game. It's all beautifully surreal and fascinating, so let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. This week, I am joined by Liz Chaipratikun to talk about her game, Afterlife, Wandering Souls. Hi, Liz. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. Um, we've we've got <laughs> we've got time zone differences we're dealing with, so thank you especially. But that is the the glamour of podcasting. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Some things that you've worked on, or places that heroes might know you from. Sure. So my name is Liz. I own a company called Angry Hamster Publishing. The biggest game that we've published to date was called Witch Faded Souls. That was actually the first game that launched our company. I've also mm. freelanced for a lot of companies. Um, I've developed a few books for John Wick Presents for the 7th C 2nd Edition line. I've mm. written the Book of Lore for Magpie Games. I've worked with Onyx Path Publishing, Gallant Knight Games, and a bunch of other indie companies as well. Oh, that's awesome. A, a lot of places heroes should know you from then. That's great. Yeah, it's always funny when you hear like who's behind what basically and who's written what. I'm always so surprised. I'm like, oh, wait, I know that person. I know that book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very cool. It, it kind of makes you want to go back and like look in your books that you've got on your shelf just to see. Honestly, like the first time I started getting friends that were in the industry, that's like the first thing I did was like throw open all my role play books. <laughs> and I'm like, Ooh, who's worked on what, you know? <laughs> That's good. We need like an IMDB for games people so we can go stalk each other. <laughs> awesome. So do you want to give us the pitch for Afterlife? Yeah. So Afterlife Wandering Souls is a strange fantasy game where you play a wanderer, someone who's died, but you didn't end up where you were meant to go. Instead, you take a long, dark boat ride and you're dumped pretty unceremoniously um, onto the shores of an endless desert. And what you do as a wanderer is you basically search through different planes of existence, trying to find memories of your past life because you don't actually remember who you are. Oh, geez. Okay. <laughs> is, is Afterlife related to any of the other games you've put out before or is it a totally new thing? Afterlife started um, kind of quickly after I finished Witch, um, as hmm. kind of a spiritual next game, you know, like a follow-up. But oh. it very much – I took a break from it because I was kind of done with dark themes for a while. I was done with drama and exploring memories. Um, and I also did a lot <laughs> yeah. of freelancing. And then I decided – uh, you know, then basically Afterlife went through a bunch of revisions, and now it's it's kind of completely own game with a new system mm -hmm. that I'm really proud of. Ooh, okay. I, w I do want to hear about that. Did it start as, as a different system? The setting was always the same, but the system was very close to the system we used for Witch. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized that the system didn't actually fit what I wanted to accomplish with the game. And that's kind of something I kind of had to learn through developing more games for other companies, kind yeah. of how to, how system influences so greatly what you're trying to do. Um, yes. so it, it had to be changed at one point, basically. Oh, cool. So what is it that you hope Afterlife does for players or makes them feel? Well, one of my favorite things about playing games and running games is just being overly invested in my players' lives. And as a player, being overly invested in my fellow players' lives in my own life. Mm -hmm. So what I hope for Afterlife is that while going through these kind of strange, Miyazaki, weird worlds um, and exploring and questing, that you get a very deep personal experience and get to explore who your wanderer is and what their memories are um, Mm -hmm. and kind of come to terms with those memories. So if people get that while playing, I would be so happy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Was there a point when you were still working with the original system, the one that was close to which, where you could point at something and say, that's not, that's, that right there is not doing what I want this to do what how I want this game to work was there like a a eureka moment or was it just sort of everything all together well I think there was a moment where basically I had the concept to work with the seven deadly sins and the seven heavenly virtues and link them kind of to how the powers in which work and at one point I was trying so desperately to link these sins and virtues to wanders experiencing memories and that's that kind of the moment where I realized it didn't work because I was trying to kind Mm. of define every memory which is very hard to do into like one sin or one virtue and then it was kind of this moment of like wait this doesn't work at all what am I doing and why am I doing it right um Mm -hmm. and that was kind of my stage where I was like I need to rethink this this system isn't working how can I make it better yeah, I th- I feel like that's such a a hard like it's a difficult point to get to. It's it's hard to be able to take that step back from from something you're you're so close to and and acknowledge that this this doesn't do what I want. I need to I need to rethink this. So it's I don't know. It's always fascinating to me to hear about those moments from designers when they when they're finally able to do that. I feel like that's I hope that's hopeful to heroes listening. You know. <laughs> Well, it's also just like, you don't want to give up on it too. You're like, I can change yeah. you. We can make this work. <laughs> but you oh, can't. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That's how it is. It's like, no, I think we need to break up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. really that moment because you've invested so much time in it, right? And it feels like you're like just letting go of this relationship mm-hmm. or, or maybe like even admitting to yourself that like you were wrong, which is very hard yeah. to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, you you've put so much you've put so much into it that it, it you can't be wrong. It has to be it has to be correct. It has to be savable. Yeah. Um, man. That's that's really cool. Um thank you. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. So this this concept, the the first thing I thought of when I was getting my head around what afterlife is is um since you're exploring your character as you're playing the game, I I'd, I'd love to talk about character creation and setting this game up since so much of of who you are is a mystery when you first start out um how do players make a character how do how do we make somebody that we we don't understand them yet 
Well, that is, at least for the player side, that's pretty easy because actually you don't have to make a character before the game starts. You actually mm-hmm. go through character creation in game. Um, and your character creation awesome. happens when you're on the boat ride from the world of the living to the world of the dead. So think like Charon, Greek mythology. And basically the boatman will ask you a bunch of questions, um, you and your fellow players. And based mm. on how you answer those questions, not only will you get to interact briefly with a memory that you'll get to explore more in more in depth further on, um, mm. but you also get stats and powers related to them. So by the end of character creation, um, at the end of your boat ride, before you're dumped onto the desert, you have all Mm. these memories and you kind of have your gut reaction of how your character reacted to them um, and what your character did. So you end up forming this person and kind of this narrative of their life or what you assume their life was Mm -hmm. through character creation itself. Okay. What's um? What kind of questions does the boatman ask? So basically, it's first based on like we have over seventy questions. <laughs> oh um, wow! And a bunch of like we have also two different charts depending on like how many players you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, you could be you you could roll two dice, right? Like because for example, at one point, um, you kind of get into what your life was, and. Mm. Then I'll ask you, like, Megan, can you please roll 2d6? And you're like, I get a 5 and a 4. I'm like, cool, 54. Look down the list, find 54. And the blanket statement is, I was kidnapped. And then you as a player get to choose between a few options of why you were kidnapped. So you could say, this was all my planning, this wasn't my fault, or something along the lines of another option basically yeah. I, I have one I, I just read this one this morning and I can't remember the third option um and based on how you answer that question and then you'll delve a little bit into a memory so I'll be like okay like you know it was your plan you remember being in a car and you'll be like oh yeah I remember being in a car and like I was plotting against someone or like another rival family I'll be like awesome um, and then you'll get a stat associated with that. Oh, wow. So that, that's a lot of possibilities then. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a, we have, uh, we have a thing in afterlife basically called death marks. And these death marks mm-hmm. are tattoo like sigils, which are on your skin and they represent the memories that you have. Each player gets nine of them and we have mm-hmm. over a hundred possibilities of what you can actually get as a player. Oh, wow. Okay. So the likelihood of of you having anything near the same as a as another player in your game is like almost impossible. Yeah, well I mean like there's totally a possibility that you could end up answering the same question as another player. Um mm-hmm. but I haven't had a game yet where players have then chose the same answer, right? So like if you said right. I was kidnapped on purpose, then someone else would say it was an accident. Um and I yeah. think, you know, players do that so they can be unique, of course. Um, but mm-hmm. so far, it's worked out great. So I'm really happy with it. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like most players are good about that sort of thing, making sure there's a there's a lot of different points of interest. Cool. Um, the characters then that are in this boat that are um, traveling together, do they know each other or are they all strangers? Um, well, that depends on a G- as a GM how you want to run this. I mean, theoretically mm-hmm. though, like when you get on the boat, you're all strangers because you can't remember one another. Maybe. Oh. 
okay. maybe if you end up playing twins or something and you realize that the both of you look exactly <laughs> the same, then you'll have a link. I mean, but there's nothing stopping your GM. Um, and I've done this with players before of like linking two people's backstories. You know what I mean? And saying like, oh, okay, actually this memory is linked to this other person. Um, but when you start out, you don't know each other. That's cool. And so this this boat full of people gets to this place. Uh, they've got little to no memory. Uh, how? What do they do? How do they find more information? Well, basically within the Tenebris, so there's two different things, right? There's these different planes of existence and there's gateways of those on the Tenebris, the Endless Desert. But there's also cities within the desert. There's forests, a lot of strange things you can visit, which are just like cities and forests in our world. So you'll end up meeting other wanderers, kind of learning about your journey. But also your character will always feel this call to go into these other planes of existence because that's where they can find their memories. Um, so they always kind of feel this draw. So if you decided that you wanted to play a game where there were no other wanderers, right, they would learn through going into one of these worlds, experiencing experiencing a memory, and then kind of continuing on their journey. Okay. And one of the things that I know that they have to work with, anyway, are are their um, approaches and talents, right? Yeah. So can can you go into what those are? Yeah, of course. So basically, talents are the easiest to explain. They're kind of like magical abilities you get, mm -hmm. um, but they're powered by your soul. So they're kind of like you using your sheer force of willpower to shape the world around you. Um, and these talents can be anything from being able to slink into the shadows to being able to heal people to summoning a lion or a vulture. <laughs> then you have something called your approach. And what your approach is, is a martial item. It's a sword, a shield, or a bow, which you can use in fantastical ways. This item is given to you by the boatman before you enter the game, basically. So during character creation, cool. and it's based on what your main stats are. So if you're more of a physical character, you get a sword. If you're more of a mental character, you get a bow. And if you're more of like an emotional feeling character, you get a shield. These items, though, aren't straightforward. So mm -hmm. a shield doesn't have to be like this stereotypical medieval buckler type idea. Mm -hmm. um, but it can be a bubble that surrounds you, or it could be a shield that you throw in front of you to shield you from negative emotions. Um, so mm -hmm. every player gets to define that differently. And then based on how you define it, the possibilities for your approach kind of get smaller and smaller, but then your approach gets more unique. Ooh, Okay. And then how are how do players figure out what the, the talents are? Is that something that's in character creation or is that something did they pick up along the way? Indeed, yeah. So you get your first talent in character creation. Um, the boatman actually presents you with two items, which you roll randomly for, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have to choose which one speaks to you. Um, and based on the item you pick and what your approach is, you get to choose from three different ability talent abilities. Um, and you can unlock more later. How we describe it in Afterlife is that you can either learn new talents by just kind of summoning them up from yourself based on a memory that you have, or you can learn them from other wanderers. It kind of depends on what your character mm. wants from the situation, basically. And you buy those with XP, like a normal role play system. Oh, nice. Okay. 
So there is, there's room to learn new things. For sure. Like you, so you get experience every time you fail at a check, you get experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and that allows you to up your base stats. And then you also get experience through memories, which allows you to kind of buy cooler stuff, like more talents and things like that. Nice. Is there like a prescribed number of memories that characters are going through or is it does it change from game to game? Well, each character, in order to kind of like complete your goal and move on to the next life through mm-hmm. however many sessions that is, you have nine death marks you need to unlock. So kind of like nine defining mm. moments in your character's life you need to remember. But the other smaller memories, like there's nothing stopping you from learning tons of those. But those defining moments are kind of what you're really going after as a player and what you're really searching for in one of these other planes of existence. Okay. And what I give as a guideline, and honestly, that depends on how long you're playing is, but like assuming you're playing a longer campaign of it, I like to say that like each group can have like one player experience one of those defining moments per plane of existence. So like per session. So the okay. each session kind of highlights a different player. Yeah. Okay. So so do you imagine that the campaigns being pretty long then? Yeah. So like they, they run a little bit longer. You could obviously do two. Um, but because each mm-hmm. break takes some time. So like you actually get to delve into a memory and you do a little mini side scene mm-hmm. and kind of about your character, then it would take a little longer for you to finish like a math, like an entire campaign where everyone finds their afterlife. I mean, yeah. some people may give in to despair and so they don't find it. Um, but yeah, like the full campaign to actually complete every single character story would take a while, but there's always an option as a GM. What you could do is you could actually offer less death marks to players. So you could say something like, okay, you all have four. So then it would mm-hmm. be a shorter campaign. Okay. Well, that's really cool. I like that flexibility. When when you're doing these memories and these scenes that focus on one player and one character, is there a mechanical incentive or encouragement for other players to participate? Or do you find that players just are, are super jazzed to like improv a scene or, or help out and be these NPCs? Or how does that work? How does everybody else get involved? Normally, it's just the player and the GM playing mm. out this scene. So basically what'll happen is once you actually discover one of these memories, you have something called a break and that's where your character actually becomes catatonic um, (laughs) to the rest of the party members because they go into this memory. So they're completely experiencing this other memory within themselves while everything is going on around them. Mm. So what'll end up happening is that you kind of take um, the player away, obviously not from the group, everyone's just sitting there. Um, but like you take them away in the scene, you play out the scene with them. Um, and then what their party members get to do afterwards, um, after like, you know, hearing the scene and kind of listening to what happened and everything, they get to deal with what's happening while the character is catatonic. Mm. So if it's in the middle of the fight, they're still going on. They're still, I don't know, punching people in the face (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever one does, or they're still trying to talk their way out of a certain situation. And that kind of lends to like then the other players getting a little bit of a spotlight before everyone comes together and continues on their adventure. Cool. And and that 
leads right into, yeah, what else is happening uh, in this world aside from in- encountering and in reliving memories? Like, what are what are these characters up to? So when they go into the other planes of existence, basically, wanderers are just questing. So each, th- that's the best way to describe it, just at least from a GM and game runner standpoint. So what you're doing when you're in one of these other planes is you kind of just get involved in the plot going on there because you're searching for memories. So you actively want to be someone who sees change so that you can find the memory, right? Um, But outside of kind of exploring these planes of existence, you have a life in the Tenebris. So the Tenebris is just a place where your character normally lives because you can't live in these other planes of existence because it's too addictive, for wanderers Mm. because otherwise you would just stay there trying to search for more and more memories and that's not good for you. (laughs) Mm. So in the Tenebris, yeah, you can, there's a lot of different inhabitants, different mirages, different plots going on there. And we actually have a system in the game, which kind of changes what the different factions in the Tenebris are doing based on who your players have interacted with. So as a GM, you can kind of build a story around that. Oh, what kind of factions exist in the Tenebris? So there's wanderers. There's a lot of different wanderers, and they kind of have split themselves up on um, what they believe the afterlife actually is. So they're kind of bickering and arranging things amongst themselves. Then you have another faction who are also humans. They're called the Unrequited. And these are actually wanderers who have failed in their journey. They haven't found their afterlife, and they actually can never find an afterlife. And obviously the wanderers and the unrequited really don't like each other. And there's a lot of conflict there. The humans though, like though I mentioned them first, because obviously we are humans. um, And that's the most interesting thing for us. They're actually kind of the smallest faction within the Tenebris. So we have a bunch of different inhabitants. Like we have people who look like humans, but they have like bright pink skin and can do magic. We have a, Species of bipedal bears who are inventors. Oh, cool. Naga-like creatures. And each of these kind of have their own goals and what they want to see done within the Tenebris. So all the humans that have gotten there, um, they have died. These other factions, these other creatures that live there, is is it the same true for them? Or are they like native to this place? They are native. So they, they know humans come here and humans think that this is an afterlife and the people there pretty much accept it, but they don't think it's an afterlife, right? They're like, this is our yeah. world. You humans are weird. Keep doing what you're doing and, you know, kind of leave us alone. You know, because humans are probably the least resilient and the least mm-hmm. made for living in the Tenebris. You know, they're obviously fish out of water. So the other species, sometimes they don't know what to make of humans, you know? Yeah, that's that's fair. I <laughs> I feel like we don't know what to make of humans a lot of the time. No, and I think like I I was just uh, I was just thinking about that rereading something in the book, and I was like I was rereading that you know the 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 Tenebris inhabitants are just kind of very confused when humans describe Earth, right? Because they're like, yeah. yeah, there's there's one species humans, and we kind of rule over everyone, and the Tenebris inhabitants are like, uh huh, uh huh. So how's that working for you? You know, <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. And then the um, the other planes, are they – those worlds, are they basically anything? Like uh, are, are there constraints on, on what kind of world you could experience? No, there's not constraints on any – like I mean gems are encouraged to create whatever type of um, world they want to. 
in the book though, like, so, so we give guidelines for that as well. And like, you know, how would you create yeah. your world and what you should include in there? Um, but within the world itself, about a fourth of the book is actually different um, types of worlds that people can explore and different settings for within the Tenebris. And we try to mm-hmm. kind of keep it to the strange fantasy, a little bit macabre theme mm-hmm. just to kind of fit with the setting of the book. But I mean, I definitely encourage GMs to go wild and I'll, be the first person to admit after running many demo and playtest sessions that at one point you start throwing in some weird things. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, why not have a marshmallow jelly world? You know, <laughs> like that's awesome. That it sounds like a, a good framework for like, especially if these campaigns are longer to like give your group a, a, a different flavor every once in a while. You know, it's like, oh, it's been a while since we've played this kind of game. I guess we could have like a a marshmallow world. It's been a while since we played a marshmallow game. <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, I want the 1920s noir detective mm-hmm. world, you know? Yeah, but all the while, yeah, maintaining that that search for memory, that that quest that you've been on. That's so cool. Oh, and then and mechanically, it sounds like everything's pretty straightforward. Like it's all D6 rolls, right? Like Yeah, it's all D6 rolls. You roll a pool of D6 based on your stats. Um, Every four to six is a success, and you need to set a number of successes to make your check. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and and what kind of stats are we working with? So basically, everything is based off a character's core, um, their body, Mm -hmm. mind, and soul. And then you have different attributes which are linked to your body, mind, and soul. And so then you're always going to roll an attribute plus the linked core stat. Okay. Which is pretty simplistic, basically. And it's it's all motivated by players because the GMs don't actually make any roles. So the GMs just react to the players' roles and set cool scenes for nice. them. But then we have a couple of things. So like we obviously like have health and different things that you can be damaged in. And those are all linked to the core as mm-hmm. well. So we have your health, your hunger, and your will linked to your body, mind, and soul. And then finally, we have something called your concept pools. And these, again, are linked to your body, mind, and soul. And what your concept pools are, are a resource that you have as a player to give yourself Mm -hmm. automatic successes if you would so want. Um, Some of the reasons you wouldn't, obviously, is that when you fail, you get XP, which is really nice. Um, (laughs) Or your concept pools might be empty, so you might just have to fail. (laughs) But you, as a player, kind of get to decide when you want to spend that extra resource to really get that success versus... Mm -hmm. No, I think I can kind of deal with things getting worse now because I need to save these points for later. Yeah. And sometimes failure is is exciting narratively. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I like I like failure. And I, I mean, especially when there's a an XP thing attached to it, a lot of players <laughs> also very much enjoy it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's very helpful. How do they build up the concept pools? Is that something that they can like uh, acquire throughout play? Or is it a like a finite thing? Yeah, so your concept pools are actually derived from your stats. So they're your core plus your highest linked stats. So for example, body has a strength, dexterity, and stamina. So let's say you have body three um, mm-hmm. and stamina two, then your concept pool would be five. And these refresh basically every time you get a rest. So like an eight-hour oh, kind of nice. rest. And then one of your vitality pools, so that's your health, your hunger, and your will, the ones you can get damaged in, those one of them refresh as well. Oh, cool. I like that, having a choice. Yeah. Yeah, so you kind of have to decide what you want to do, what you're kind of willing to go without, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's very cool. I like that. Yeah, you're you're never going to be <laughs> probably at at optimal. <laughs> and it's I don't think it's as fun to play then if you are too. So no, and there, I mean, I think also within the Tenebris, right, there's like, because it's a desert, there's definitely that feeling of survival um, mm-hmm. and having to go through those different worlds. So I think if you could just automatically get everything back, you'd get less of that feeling of like, I'm really overcoming this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. That's, that is a great way to do it. And I, I like, I'm, I'm always curious to find out about like how stats are built in games where, while it's not a setting agnostic or genre agnostic game necessarily, it is you, you do have to be prepared for almost any kind of world. Um, and having having stats that are too specific can hinder that. So it's always I'm very curious always to find out how designers handle that that just general enough that you can play almost anything, but specific enough that you know what you're doing. You know that everything has a meaning. So that's very cool. How about playtesting this game? One of my favorite things to find out is, as you were playtesting this game with different people, did your players do anything that surprised you? So I have the luxury of having some very good friends who, at least with for like the core of the playtesting, you know, when you're just really working out the system and it's an ugly monster that you can't show to anyone until <laughs> until it's somewhat more workable. I have a very sweet group of friends who I've played with for like over a decade now. So I don't want to insult them by saying they can't do anything to surprise me. But <laughs> all the shenanigans they got up to was very expected. Mm-hmm. I think... One thing that has surprised me um, in playtesting, though, when I started to playtest with a broader audience, right? People I don't know, people who don't love me and won't just tell me that my game is good because mm-hmm. they spent four hours on, a, <laughs> on it in a convention and they want to tell you, yeah. is that a lot of people? I've always, I've always assumed that, like, when players come into the Tenebris, they're going to take kind of very human shapes. Oh, yeah. Because we we basically say like, well, you can appear however you wanted to appear in your mind's eye. Maybe you thought you were really childish, so you appear as a child. And as you unlock memories, you slowly start to age, right? Like you realize that you were an adult. But like a lot of people choose to kind of come into the Tenebris as like this formless being, which I always find really interesting. So I've had a couple of people who like, you know, like, I wear really kind of nebulous clothing and you can never really see my face because I'm wearing a hood. Yeah. And they're kind of like this not quite human person. And then as they get memories, they start kind of describing who they actually are and what they look like. And I found that very interesting because that's totally them, right? Like I I had never thought of this myself. Um, And that was cool. That was very surprising. That's very cool. Yeah. I like, like as they remember themselves, they coalesce. That's, that's a cool take. Yeah. And I mean like more than one person has done it too. So I feel like maybe this is something I overlooked or something, but it's really cool. Hmm. Yeah, it is very cool. I I wonder, I like it, it seems like it wouldn't, change anything mechanically it's just like a cool way to to tell that story oh wow have have you had anybody that was like distinctly non-human like was oh i'm an animal or i'm like this 
No, no. I mean, I haven't, I'm happy you didn't suggest this and none of my players are listening because I know one specific person who'd be like, well, I'm a cat, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, so I haven't had anyone who's like distinctly non you. They're always humanoid, cool, nebulous apes. And always, it's always yeah. like a very, at least for me, when I hear them describe it, it's always very beautiful because it's kind of this nebulous, lobular, phantasmagorical kind of shape of a human thing, which I always think is really cool. But yeah, no cats, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> uh, yet. Yeah, yet. Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just, I'm here to ruin everyone's day. Uh, <laughs> no. So, so you, you mentioned playing with a broader audience. Um, is this something that you've been able to play at conventions? Uh, not on conventions, but like online conventions. Okay. I have uh, an yeah. online play, basically. I've played mm-hmm. and then like local game stores, obviously with people I don't know. Okay. So, so same feel where you've got to kind of get this game to them quickly. It's, it, you don't have the luxury of a long campaign. Oh God. Yeah. Um, how does, how does that handle when you have to, when you have such a short amount of time? Um, It works well. I I say, Oh God. Yeah. Because like I am the most <laughs> awkward person when I need to explain something really quick. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> just like, can everyone just take a silent 15 minutes and read these handouts I've printed out for you? Um, mm-hmm. No, but obviously I explain things. Um, It's handled well. I end up because the system of afterlife is relatively simple but we have a lot of bells and whistles to make it unique and special for each player's experience in terms of like different death marks, different talents, and all these different choices you can have as a player. So what I tend to do basically is strip everything back for people so it's easier to understand and easier to digest. For example, like we have an item system called Curiosa. I don't use that because getting into creating one of those and stuff would just be too much work for like a four hour session. Um, I give everyone one death mark, one talent, um, and then kind of just focus on who their character is and building that up. Cause that's actually the most interesting thing for players. And then like, normally if they're sold on the game, they're like, Oh cool. I want to learn more and all the cool stuff I can get, you know? Yeah. You're giving them just enough to get them hooked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I I try also just like just enough to understand and for it to still be fun. Mm Because sometimes when you get into games where there's like, you know, too many unfamiliar terms, it starts to become a little overwhelming. And then you you struggle more with trying to understand the concepts of the game, rather than just understanding who your character is and playing and enjoying yourself, you know? Mm hmm. Oh, yes, I know. (laughs) Yeah, and I never want that. I always want players to at least like, let's just do some fun drama with your memories and mm-hmm. see some weird bird skeletons, you know? That's that's fun. All right. Just <laughs> <laughs> do bird skeletons come up a lot? Um no, but like I, I think animals, strange animals with really mundane names do come up a lot. Like oh, snakes good. named Carla. And I recently had a a kind of faceless monster that stole other people's faces that was named Elsa. Oh, um, nice. Both named by players. And I'm just like, somehow this fits so well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the face stealing monster named Elsa. I love um, it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, I guess, players naming things and being so helpful. Um, have they helped create any worlds that were just so far out of something you would have come up with that, that it still sticks with you? Uh, I had, so I was demoing this game for the gauntlet. And one of the things that I do 
when I demo games is I'll actually have the players help create the world that they're going to explore just so there's a little bit more engagement there for like a quick session. And it wasn't, it wasn't like so weird or out of left field. I just found it so beautiful. They basically developed this world, which was constantly in a state of twilight and every person there was actually an animal, but they like kind of had this spirit animal and they couldn't actually change into the animals. So like the entire exploration of the world was trying to like free these people from their human skins. And they kind of like had this super charismatic leader named Prince Tiger. And he was like, you know, obviously this guy in this like really slick suit with this kind of like amber aura around him. And I was just like, this is so beautiful that must be in the book. (laughs) Oh, wow. Did it make it in the book? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I wrote up like a small one page that had some words left over. So I was like, this is going in. It's <laughs> too pretty. It was just such a great concept. And it was so fully rounded, like the way each player kind of bounced off one another to kind of create this really beautiful setting. I'm like, oh. do you guys mind if I just write this up and special thanks to, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Why don't we talk about the book a little bit? So it's... um. As this comes out, this is active on Kickstarter, um, which we'll have links to, and it's going the month of May? Yes, it is. Perfect. Yeah, so um, what are we looking at? What do we? What's in the book that we... So the book is a full-color, hardcover book with amazing art by amazing artists. I can't oh, yeah. say enough about them. Like, Even if you don't think the concept is cool, please go to our Kickstarter and see the art by our artists because... It's amazing. They need more promotion. Whatever they're being paid, it's not enough. You know? <laughs> like just as freelancers, they're very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get all the art. Obviously, all the character creation rules, all the mechanics, all the worlds and settings are all in the book. So everything you need to play Afterlife is in our beautiful hardcover book for you to purchase. There's some other writers, right? Yeah. So I am working with Steffi Devan mm-hmm. and... Danielle Harper. They are two very, very talented women who I have worked with on many projects. Steffi, um, we met like when I was doing Witch actually, and we both were working on a project for Onyx Path Publishing, and I realized she was Dutch. And I was like, Holland. Um, I'm, I, I live in the Netherlands for anyone listening. That's, uh, that's why. Um, mm-hmm. We stayed connected, and she actually started writing for my company. Um, and we became good friends. We even have a Patreon together now. So obviously oh. any project I do, if Steffi has the time and is willing to actually work on it, I will let her work on all the things. I met Danielle when I was working um, for John Wick Presents as the lead developer for one of their books. And she was there um, as part of their staff. And she's just incredibly talented as well. Like I, I can't say enough good things about Danielle as well, just in terms of professionalism, creativity. So yeah. And and so then when I had this project and Danielle was free, I was like, Danielle, please come write on my project. Um, and obviously these two women um, work very well together. They're helping to design a lot of the limbos and mirages that are going to be in the book. 
Um, so they're very, working very closely together to make sure that this world is kick-ass. Awesome. And is that what you're hoping to get some guest authors to do is more limbos or? Yeah, indeed. So obviously, like you can't hire everyone you want for the book. You have a limited budget. <laughs> yeah. So I reached out to a few other people who I thought could really bring a lot to the project. So there's uh, Sarah Richardson, who's a very good friend of mine. She works for Magpie Games. She is one of the co-authors of Bluebeard's Bride. She writes the craziest things. So I, mm-hmm. I wanted her on the project. Um, Mabel Harper, she is like kind of a new up-and-coming role-play designer. Well, I shouldn't say new. I should say un- relatively unknown. Um, really excited to see what she has to do. Mm-hmm. I have Felipe Real, who I worked with on 7C. I hired him for a couple projects. And he's a very creative guy. And then JM Greats as well. And um, she has worked on projects like Blue Rose. And yeah, basically, these type of settings are her jam. So I really wanted her on there as well. So hopefully we get them all unlocked, but we'll see. Yeah, that would be amazing. Well, it looks awesome. It's it the art is beautiful. It, the game sounds incredible. Is is there anything else that we should know about either the Kickstarter or about Afterlife? No, I don't think so. I, there's one thing that I'm excited about with Afterlife um, on the mm-hmm. Kickstarter that we have, which is basically we have something called like it's a kind of an add-on called the Wanderer's Tome, mm-hmm. and it's a notebook which has all the rules references that players need in a character sheet in it. Oh, and I'm mainly mentioning it because I'm a notebook snob and I'm super excited about it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And it's the first time I've been able to like realize it for a project. So like, if that's something that you enjoy too, if you enjoy notebooks as much as I do, like, please check that out because like, I don't know, or just leave a comment on the Kickstarter saying it's a terrible idea, but like, I love it. Oh, no. So. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think RPG players are definitely the, the notebook people. Yeah. <laughs> it's the correct crowd (laughs) i mean i developed this like my friend flora and i we developed this idea when we were doing witch and we like posed it to our friend group and everyone just looked at us with silence like you could hear crickets and i'm like well this is a brilliant idea and one day it's going to happen so Mm -hmm. oh that's exciting i i also love notebooks i have more than i need for sure but that doesn't stop me Awesome. Well, we'll have links then, of course, to the Kickstarter and, and relevant materials. Uh, where can heroes find you and your work online? Um, if you're interested in hearing more about my work, you can first go to our website, angryhamsterpublishing.com, and that has links to all our games. We also have a Twitter at angryhamsterrpg, and we are also Angry Hamster Publishing on Facebook. And I post a lot of personal stuff there, at least for myself, because I do our social media. So you can hear a bunch of stuff there. That's such a good name. <laughs> Angry Hamster Publishing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is it is very evocative. I like it. <laughs> cool. I'll gather those. We'll have those links as well. Um, the Kickstarter is on now. Folks should check that out. Liz, thank you so much for doing this. This is this is awesome. I love this. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Me too. Huge thanks again to Liz for being on, and please go check out the campaign for Afterlife. Just treat yourself to that good art. You can find all those links in the show notes on our website. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at Modifier Podcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. 
Join hosts Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland as they redesign their first role-playing game. Design Doc is an experiment in public participatory analog game design. It's fun, it's messy, and you're invited along for the ride. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit oneshotpodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at catgreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.